3: Welcome to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. I'm Jim DeRogatis, the pop music critic at the Chicago Sun-Times. And I'm Greg Kot. I write about rock and roll for the Chicago Tribune. Today on the world's only
0: rock and roll talk show, author Nelson George takes us on his voyage from inner city kid to
3: music critic and filmmaker. Plus, Greg and I take a look at Eminem's new album, Relapse, and then it's my turn to add a track to the Desert Island Jukebox.
4: Support for Sound Opinions is provided by founding sponsor Alltech Lansing and their new Octave Air speaker system, a wireless 80-watt wall of sound for your iPod. More information at alltechlansing.com. Be a critic like Jim and Greg. Win an all-expense paid trip to Chicago to attend the Pitchfork Music Festival courtesy of Alltech Lansing and Sound Opinions. Runners-up will win a premium Alltech Lansing audio system. Enter at soundopinions.org.
3: You're listening to Sound Opinions, and now it's time for some music news. Alors voilà, Clyde a une petite amie. Elle est belle et son prénom c'est...
5: Bunny. A eux deux, ils forment le gang barrow. Leur nom... Bunny Parker. Et Clyde Barrow. Bunny, Bunny, Bunny and Clyde. Bunny and Clyde.
0: At the top of the news this week is a story we've been following for uh, several months on Sound Opinions. Last month, we told you that this three strikes and you're outlaw in France had been turned down by the Assembly in that country. The three strikes and you're outlaw basically says if you are on the Internet and you are caught illegally downloading music, not once, not twice, but three times you will be taken off the internet. Well, the French Assembly turned that down in April. The bill was reintroduced recently and finally passed the French National Assembly by a relatively narrow margin, 296 to 233. But what this means is that they're going to create a new government agency, which will be tasked with sending notices to illegal file sharers. It's an interesting debate going on in Europe right now, uh, Jim, about this. Just recently, the European Parliament voted down a similar measure, basically saying that they thought that this was an imposition on the privacy and free speech rights of uh, its constituents. But the French National Assembly disagreed, saying that this piracy issue has gotten completely out of control and has basically climbed into bed with the music industry as an ally, saying that
3: we are going to help you crack down on illegal file sharing in France. Greg, do you think that the slacker downloaders of France are going to rise up and revolt and storm the digital Bastille. <laughs> I don't know, Jim, but I think the uh, the Chinese
0: government is worried about protests in its country, and it is cracking down on rock and roll. As a result, there are two major anniversaries in China coming up this year: the 20. Uh, 20- year anniversary of the tiananmen square pro-democracy demonstrations and the 60th anniversary of the founding of the people's republic of china now the chinese government has a lot of problems with uh, these big events and these uh, big anniversaries last year with the olympics uh, they really cut back on the international touring that was going on for fear that there was going to be protests and major security issues surrounding these rock concerts this year they've already cancelled an oasis appearance in that country And they have moved one of the major rock festivals, the Midi Festival, which took place in Beijing in previous years. They've moved it to a remote site in eastern China where attendance was basically cut by 70 percent. In other words, uh, to draw less international attention to these events. They feared that some kind of public scrutiny will come down on china because of these anniversaries that there will be protests that there will be some security issues and as a result once upon a time there was a thought that china was the new avenue for these big rock tours recall that Just as recently as three or four years ago, bands like the Rolling Stones and Avril Lavigne were touring China to great international notice and acclaim. But now the Chinese government was once again cracking down, and it remains to be seen whether we will once again see major rock tours
3: coming through there. Well, far be it for me to praise communist totalitarianism, (laughs) but I wouldn't mind banning Oasis from the U.S., to tell you the truth.
5: Sweethearts, that was them, but then it's true. I'm in love with a fairy tale, even though it hurts, cause I don't care.
3: Greg, that is a song called Fairy Tale by a 23-year-old violinist named Alexander Ryback, who lives in Norway now, was born and raised in Belarus, Why are we playing this? Well, much of America was focused on uh, the American Idol contest last week, but uh, the biggest song contest in the world remains Eurovision. Every year, mid-May, we like to take a look at the Eurovision winner – just so we can remember that the pop charts are dreadful pretty much around the world. It's not just America, even more so when groups of people, masses of people, somehow get together to vote on something. I don't know why, but the, the result is always the most mediocre dreck. Eurovision is, is a massive deal. They spent $30 million to put it on this year in Moscow, and Rybek won over a couple hundred points over the nearest rival, who was from Iceland. And, you know, he was just way over the top. Uh, this business of, of a, a troop of dancers and, and a legion of blonde backing singers all backing him up with the violin. And that sappy Andrew Lloyd Webber meets the Jonas Brothers pop. Hopefully, that's the last we'll ever hear from him. <laughs>
0: Today we want to take a look at the history of hip-hop and R&B. And we could not think of any man more qualified to talk about it than Nelson George. Nelson George has done many things in his life. He's an author, a filmmaker, a television producer. But above all, I think he has been the foremost critic of African-American culture uh, of the last 30 years. Nelson grew up in the Brownsville neighborhood in Brooklyn, And he has been an award-winning music writer. His books, Where Did Our Love Go?, The Rise and Fall of the Motown Sound, The Death of Rhythm and Blues, and Hip Hop America, are cornerstones of American thinking about those subjects. His latest book is called City Kid. He joins us now from New York City. Nelson, welcome to Sound Opinions.
2: Hey, thank you for having me.
0: Nelson, this is a uh, a sort of a different book for you because uh, in the past you have written about everyone but yourself. Uh, You've filtered through your sensibility as a critic but you've sort of turned the lens back on yourself here was that was that a daunting challenge to to sort of look at your own life and and how uh music grew up around that
2: it, it was very difficult i mean i i my i've had the same editor since like for 20 years since the deferism and blues and uh she would say to me you know stop writing about chris rock stop writing about russell simmons and she would give me back six pages which were something about their career or some analysis of whatever and where are you in this narrative right now? So there was definitely a, a lot of push and pull because my natural instinct is not to, to write about myself and not to write about my family. So it, it was, uh, some of it was really fun, you know, and stuff. writing about growing up and writing about listening to music and, and how art shaped my life was great. But, you know, the, the other parts we have to kind of grapple with, your family issues or your own emotional issues, that was very tough.
0: In City Kid, you talk about the fact that you grew up in this pretty rough neighborhood, uh, Brownsville, that was named the worst ghetto in the United States, as you reported uh, seeing one day on TV as a kid. And yet, you were able to shape this life that was shaped by art. Uh, you, you talk a lot about how art can be a transcendental medium in the book. How were you able to, to sort of find a, you know, this sort of higher level of, of approaching the world in the midst of just sort of struggling to get by, I would imagine, in a pretty rough neighborhood?
2: You know, it, it's, that's the thing. I think all people who love art, it's it's uh, something that you're drawn to as a child. I mean, you know, I think we've we all interviewed a lot of artists, you have you know, musicians and uh, actors or filmmakers, and all of us, they have these moments where they heard something, they saw something, and it led them someplace else. You know, for me, those 45 RPM records, uh, the singles that used to play uh, my mother's Motorola hi-fi player, I mean... I literally would look at those things and see, you know, the Motown, you know, Motown records, and it would say Detroit, Michigan, or uh, the, the pale blue kind of cover, the finger snap logo for Stax Records, or the red and black Atlantic, which was the street on Broadway somewhere, you know. I got the sense of, poss- you know, the world outside that these records represented. Winnie! books had a similar effect. I mean, I talk a lot about uh, Hemingway and how Hemingway's Nick Adams stories really gave me a sense of possibility that he could write about growing up as a child in Michigan, and I could write growing up as a child in Brooklyn, and reading The Great Gatsby, you know, and the beauty of that, and the fact that The Great Gatsby is a novel I still think is a great American novel because it speaks to the aspirational aspect of our culture. It it reminds me every time I think of... uh, you know, sometimes I think of Jay-Z or, or, or Diddy. I think of the Gatsby. You know, I think of this mm-hmm. self-created uh, persona, uh, this aspirational persona, which is a big part of hip-hop, which also kind of Gatsby, in, you know, Gatsby, the character, embodies. Look,
1: scrap, I got nephews to look after. I'm not looking at you, dudes, I'm looking past you. I thought I told you, characters, I'm not a rapper can i live i told you 96 that i came to take the and i did handle my biz i scrambled like Randall with his cut in hand but the only thing running is numbers, spam chick i held you down six summers damn, where's the love
2: so all these things in art you know they they come along and you make these connections that maybe other people don't make or you get this sense of possibility i think it's a huge thing for me art is about possibility the uh, to transform your life into Something larger or to be taken a place that's uh, they offer you a wider vision of the world than than the place you're at, you know be it the projects of Brownsville or a farm and the Midwest or wherever you are you know th- that's the great thing about music and books and film they allow you to see the world and get the idea that you can go out and be part of this larger larger dialogue.
3: Well, that is such an inspiring part of, of City Kid, uh, Nelson, because throughout your life, it seems to me, you were not going to be put in any box that people wanted to put you into. You're reading James Baldwin, but you're also reading Hemingway and Fitzgerald. You know, you're, you're growing up as a self-described black nerd, and you're way into Planet of the Apes.
2: Yeah, I, th- I think, you know, that, that's what stereotypes are. Stereotypes are just these boxes we put people in. And why, we ha- you know, why art is created and why art means so much to all of us is it allows us to be outside of that box. And you know, it, it also gets to the idea of the individual self. And I think that that's something that, you know, you know market, in, in the age of marketing and demographics, we talk about these people like this thing or these people like this based on this market uh, research. But the truth is when you get into the individual, when you start talking to people about what they, who they are on a day-to-day basis, it almost never follows the exact stereotype that we expect. So people are, are collections I think all artists that we, that we that really make an impact are a collection of influence as well as it's not just geography. I think that's the thing I guess I'm talking about is geography is not destiny. That where you were born and what you were around does not it's not the ultimate stamp on what you'll become.
3: Hmm. Well, the death of rhythm and blues is 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 one of the great rock books. Short list of the top ten ever, up there with Lester Bangs or Nick Tosches or Richard Meltzer, and it kind of conveys the death of that world and the emergence of the new one of hip hop. I mean, your, your life professionally as a writer, Nelson, has spanned the development of hip-hop. But in 1980, you wrote a, a phenomenal piece called Rapping DJs, which I often oh. read to classes. In that piece today, which is now, what, I mean, almost 30 years old, you know, the, the entire hip-hop aesthetic comes, comes through. And also, you nailed the problems. Going back to that word stereotype we were using a couple minutes ago, you know, you were writing about how the black establishment in 1980 already, when nobody really understood what a, what a rapping DJ even was, a certain part of the black world was criticizing this new musical form because, quote, it perpetuates old stereotypes.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that, you know, it's, it, it's funny about that, that phrase there. It's words I've tried to avoid in my writing, positive and negative. And those are words that black people throw around a lot. Uh, in terms of what they don't like, you know, black people are very sensitive on two levels. One is stereotypes; they're always afraid that they're going to be depicted in a certain way that they feel is "quote unquote" negative. And two, they're always worried about, you know, the corollary that they're worried what white people will think of them. And for whatever reason, you know, hip hop from the very beginnings rubbed people the wrong way. And you got to remember that we're coming out of uh, you know late se- mid seventies into you-, you have the disco era. You have uh, you know, I call it the cavassier aesthetic. It's a very smoothed out <laughs> k- kind of thing is starting to happen from an R and B that w- really went into the eighties.
5: In yeah. Turn off the lights.
2: So the rawness that had always been a part of black pop culture. It brought music, you know, from the blues to certain kind of hard bop through parts of rock and roll. And, you know, you can see that there's a certain kind of attitude Mm -hmm. that seemingly, uh, for a lot of reasons, some of which I go into in a deaf rhythm and blues, is kind of getting smoothed out. Hip-hop brought that back. And, And, you know, looking back, you really can see that the Curtis Blows and the Millie Mills are really the inheritors of this kind of hyper-masculine aesthetic, this roughness that contemporary R&B at that time had sort of moved away from. There was a the kind of sense that we didn't need to be that raw anymore, that success lie- lied in, in a, a smoother, less threatening approach. Mm. Hip-hop brought back all of that stuff that had been you know, put aside, or, or the establishment of, of black music at that time was really putting aside.
1: Broken glass everywhere, people pissing on the stage, you know they just don't care I can't take the smell, can't take the noise, got no money to move out, I guess I got no choice Rats in the front room, Roaches in the back, junkies in the alley with the baseball bat I tried to get away, but I couldn't get far, cause a man with a touch-up repossessed my car Don't push me Standing on the front stoop, hanging out the window Watching all the cars go by, roaring as the breezes blow A crazy lady living in a bag Eating out of garbage pails, used to be a fag hag, such a dance to tango, skipped a life and dango. A second princess seemed to lost her sex down at the peep show, watching all the creeps So she could tell her stories, to the girls back home She went to the city and got so, so sedated She had to get a pimp, she couldn't make it on her own Don't push me, cause
3: Coming up next on Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media, we continue our conversation with author, screenwriter, and hip-hop historian Nelson George. Then later on, Greg and I will review the latest album from one of hip-hop's biggest stars, Eminem.
1: I'm not home. Got a bum
6: education. Double-digit inflation. Can't take the train to the job. There's a strike at the station. Knee on King Kong. Standing on my back. Can't stop to turn around. Broke my sacroiliac. A mid-range migraine. Cancer membrane. Sometimes I think I'm on this scene. I swear I might hijack a plane. So-
3: Welcome back to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. I'm Jim Deergotis here with Greg Cott, and our guest is Nelson George. His new book, City Kid, chronicles his journey from a kid growing up in Brownsville, Brooklyn, to becoming a music critic for The Village Voice and Billboard, and on into the present. Nelson, what I've always loved about your writing, as opposed to this kind of source magazine uh, generation of critics that followed in your footsteps, was that they were afraid to actually critique the music, and you never were. My favorite Nelson George uh, trivia fact here, I'm going to insert Greg, you know, you wrote (laughs) CB4 with Chris Rock, Mm -hmm. which I think is the black spinal tap, brilliant, unheralded movie, obviously making fun of the poses and posturing, at the same time paying homage to N.W.A.,
2: when Chris and I were doing that crazy film, our, our working uh, aesthetic was that it was the um, the stupidity of hardness. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, CB4 is a strange film. You know, it's funny. Chris and I joke now that we were very young and we were kind of stupid ourselves. And so we could have made a better movie of it. But what we figured out, hip-hop was becoming wrestling. And what Easy e and Dre and those guys were doing was a kind of form of wrestling, a kind of hyper... Performance art thing, and that's what, and they were, that's why it was so perfect for Chris to play, basically an easy easy character, yeah, and like, we met easy easy's actually easy actually does a cameo in the film, and you know we showed him clips of the film, he's seen Chris dressed up in the jericho wig, he just laughed, he totally got what we were doing, sure, because it was almost like he said, "Oh, you see what I'm doing, and you're making fun of it. I, I get it, and it's a joke, and I'm fine with it.
1: Now let me ask you guys a couple of questions. When you cuss on your records yeah.
2: Do you
6: defile women with your lyrics? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you, uh, fumble your genitalia on stage? Yeah. Whenever possible. Mm. Do you, uh, glorify violence or advocate the use of, uh, guns as a way of solving civil disputes? Yeah. Okay, okay, final question. Do you guys respect anything at all?
5: Not, Not a, a goddamn, goddamn
6: thing. thing.
1: You gotta it.
0: Yeah. The movie does a great job of sort of looking back on that first decade of, of hip-hop in a lot of ways and where it went, where yeah. it, where it, what it became. You grew up as a writer right in the middle of it, and you talk in the book about being right in the middle of some of the violence, the energetic crowds, the, the cutting-edge music, the random violence, and how that, it was exciting. You, you feared for your yes. life, and at the same time, it was incredibly exciting.
2: It's just a matter of coming, you know, I'm, I'm from uh, a very tough area, and... Nothing, strangely, but nothing that happens since I came out of those areas as a kid. I don't. I don't. I'm not. I don't see it as oh my god, the boogeyman. I mean, I read. Descri- I read descriptions. You know, the Grio Marcus would write of the punk clubs in London in '77, mm-hmm. and that sounded crazy to me <laughs> because mm-hmm. I didn't right. understand right. the world that was going on. What's going on? They're wearing baby the pins and they're spitting on each other and blah blah blah. So it's all a matter of context and. That danger, you know, and anybody who's been around, you guys have been around a lot, of, you're around a scene that starts, especially a youth-oriented scene. You know, there's this, all this energy that's there, that's the music's energy, it's sexual energy, it's men and women trying to define themselves to the world, and all of that coming out in this room full of music. I'm not saying that, it, you know, I was very, I tried to be prudent, I tried not to be in the middle of the crowd. But uh, I did get off on it, and I think that it was a big part of of why hip-hop had such vitality for young people.
0: Talk about uh, the 80s breaking down the door for black creativity. I think that's a pretty bold statement. There were obviously eras of that where black creativity just exploded. You know, you're talking about I think about like 20s jazz or, or 60s soul. What is it about the 80s for you that that was like the the peak of that?
2: I would make the argument that the 80s was artistically uh, as innovative uh, as some of the other eras. I would make the argument that it was commercially as explosive and that. You know, it's an era where Michael Jackson, Oprah Winfrey, Eddie Murphy, Cosby, Lana Ritchie, Whitney Houston, even, you know, in the jazz context, if you look at what Branford and Winton Marsalis did within jazz, yeah. that was quite amazing the amount of records they sold and the amount of visibility they had. There's all these different examples, you know, obviously hip hop. So, I mean, man, there was so much stuff going on on a scale that was unprecedented. How and why then? I mean, what happened in the 80s that allowed that sort of thing to happen? I think the idea of the country went through 20 years. The civil rights movement really peaked, you know, in the late 60s, mid to late 60s. In the 70s, we had this sort of movement of black mayors into the mainstream. And so you had the creation slowly of more and more black people in authority positions that um, were acceptable. Even if by the time Reagan came in, we had this conservative backlash there's still a sense that individual black examples of achievement are acceptable in a way they haven't been before. Certainly, the record business, fueled somewhat by MTV, was at a peak, you know, looking back, the 80s is probably the uh, the commercial peak of the recording industry in terms of actual record mm-hmm. sales. Mm-hmm. So you had that machine working. There, w- there was a, a, a great sense of, uh, particularly in New York and L.A., wh- where I went to quite a bit, this sense of this burgeoning celebrity culture, black celebrity culture, That wasn't simply something that Jet and Ebony covered. Mm-hmm. It was something that People Magazine covered. And that was a big difference. And something the kids in the suburbs knew about. We
3: Absolutely. Are, uh, we're talking to Nelson George. He has a, a great new memoir called City Kid. He's written a couple of the best books about music ever Death of Rhythm and Blues, that collection of his work, Buppies, B Boys, Baps, and Bohos. That's my personal favorite, Nelson.
2: Uh, that's, my, that's my Tom Wolf bite. <laughs> there you go.
3: All right, all right, all right. Million dollar question is a key concept in City Kid. You got to explain it. Ass power.
2: Well, I mean, uh, it's a it's a it's a funny story. About I spent a day with Quincy Jones from Musician Magazine, actually, the late great musician. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is before Thriller, so I'm thinking it's '82 or '83. I asked him, you know, what what separated Michael Jackson from um, another singer he had produced who Remain nameless, even though she was an incredible talent. Why was he so much bigger? And, and he said, "Ass power." And <laughs> Mass <laughs> power is not having a big butt or not being Beyonce. It's the ability to stay in these chairs and get the work done. He said Michael just had an incredible work ethic. At some point in, in the day, you have to spend three to four hours almost straight in a chair. Either you're in a sound stage doing some kind of mixing or... You're in a room with writers developing material, or you're, you know, you're, you're. I mean, that ability to listen, focus, that's what separated for him, Michael Jackson, from everyone else. And certainly, you know, Michael's, you know, reputation has been tarnished, self-tarnished, but he had such a global impact. And you know, and at As Power, the, that record is one of those great artifacts of of '80s pop. I want to talk about your work ethic as a guy who's covered
0: hip hop basically since its beginning. The common thinking is that there was a golden age of hip-hop, roughly mid-late 80s to early 90s. What do you think?
2: It depends. I mean, I think that uh, certainly uh, Dr. Dre's work, you know, with Snoop and Deep Cover and uh, The Chronic, you know, just in terms of the production and his ability to... I mean, you know, Snoop is like a great singer, almost. He's got a very musical, melodic quality Mm -hmm. uh, that, that obviously Dre was crucial to.
0: One, two bring to the folks Snoop doggy dog and Dr. Dre is
1: that the dope ready to make an entrance, so back on up cuz you know about rip. it give me the microphone first so i can bust like a bubble Compton and Long Beach together now you know you in trouble ain't nut but a j thing babe too locked up so get over crazy
2: you know Wu-Tang and i think that i do i would make the golden age a little bit longer than that the combination of the death of Tupac and Biggie so close to each other You know that if if I look at a golden age, it kind of to me it ends there. Kind of, Mm -hmm. hip hop has been running on fumes to some degree as a cultural movement in the states since the late '90s. I think that hip hop around the world is as vital as it's ever been in a lot of ways. It's much more so. I find it much more exciting than what's going on here, where the hip hop has become a business of selling music Mm. and selling kind of gangster poses. And I think that uh, it's it, the culture has actually sold itself short. That's been the common thinking. But
0: what about could an artist from outside of the U.S. transform hip hop? Uh,
2: somebody like a Kanon or something like that. I think the language thing. Americans are too arrogant to listen to someone else rap in another language. And if someone raps another language with an accent, hmm. uh, we don't really respond to it. So I mean, I think that that's you know our problem. I hear incredibly uh, beautiful flows out of. <laughs> Artist in you know in Paris. I think you know French hip hop really sounds good.
5: Uh, I've come to uh, accept
2: German hip-hop, which I used to think was sounded horrible. <laughs> But I mean, I guess, the, you know, there's Colombian hip-hop. There's a lot of interesting variations on the culture around the world, along with the dancing, which I think is incredible. I mean, actually, hip-hop culture is in pretty good shape as a culture movement. I don't know if the hip-hop as a music business is is is, is 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 strong, especially in the States.
0: Well, you know, one of the most exciting things, and you alluded to it earlier when you were in the middle of these shows and there was this aura of violence and fear combined with this excitement of a new art form... Uh, it's no longer a new art form. It, it has become codified and it has become corporatized and people are making money off it. Can hip-hop be rebellious and, and confront the status quo the way it used to? Or is that going to be up for some new genre of black music
2: to, uh, to do that? And if so, what will that be? Well, the, the, the music that interests interest me the most right now is the, the guys and girls and bands associated with Afropunk. There's Afropunk movement, afropunk.com if you want to check them out. TV and the radio is one kind of part of it. Mm -hmm. Santo Goal is one part of it. There's a really cool little group out of LA called J. Davey. Black punk, in a, in a broader sense, they're not all doing, you know, bad brains. Mm-hmm. Though some of them are doing bad brains. Some of them are doing Prince meets New Wave. Some of them are doing, um, you know, different hybrids of hip-hop with New Wave or a bad brains kind of attitude. In other words, there's a spectrum of alternative black music that's coming under this banner of Afropunk. And uh, a lot of the bands that are doing the most progressive forms of this music are my favorite groups right now. And they are the alternative, because look at this way. I was walking down the street in um, Broadway maybe a month and a half ago, and there's a guy walking down the street. He's got a red sort of tracksuit, loose-fitting pants, kind of a red sideways baseball cap. Next to him were these two kids who were dressed in really tight jeans, kind of semi-punkish mohawks, some kind of 80s glasses. And to truth is, the guy in the loose-fitting clothes, tracksuit, looked really old. <laughs> he looked like, what are you, dude? You're you're so behind the times. While these kids look like the new cutting edge, and that's the contrast going on. I I don't know if this Afro punk thing will become the new hip hop, but there is obviously a an hunger, and a yearning for new expressions. And certainly, if you're gonna rebel now, rebel now, you rebel against hip hop, because mm-hmm. it's the new orthodoxy as opposed to re- re- reeling within hip hop.
0: We want to say thanks to Nelson George, author, filmmaker, television producer, critic, whose most recent book is City Kid. Nelson, thank you for being on Sound Opinions.
2: Thank you guys for having me on.
3: To comment on our conversation with Nelson George or to share any of your opinions, call our hotline, 888 888- or email us at interact at soundopinions.org We'll be back in a minute on Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media with reviews of Eminem and Passion Pit and I'll pop a quarter in the Desert Island Jukebox
4: Support for Sound Opinions is provided by founding sponsor Alltech Lansing and their new Octave Air speaker system, a wireless 80-watt wall of sound for your iPod. More information at alltechlansing.com. Be a critic like Jim and Greg Win an all-expense-paid trip to Chicago to attend the Pitchfork Music Festival, courtesy of Alltech Lansing and Sound Opinions. Runners-up will win a premium Alltech Lansing audio system. Enter at soundopinions.org.
0: Got Welcome back to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. That, of course, can only be one person. That's Eminem with a track called Crack a Bottle from his latest studio album, Relapse. His first album in five years. Eminem made his 1999 debut as one of the most hailed and most reviled rappers of all time with the Slim Shady LP. It was overseen by producer Dr. Dre, who has specialized in introducing new voices into the rap realm, first with N.W.A. and then with Snoop Doggy Dogg back in the early 90s, and his latest discovery was Eminem. had an incredibly successful solo career, striking this pathological outlaw pose. As he says in that song, the undisputed, uh, most disturbing villain (laughs) of all time. (laughs) And he lives up to that reputation in album after album. He sold 27 million records. He was the star of a major hit movie a few years ago called Eight Mile in which he lended some depth to his personal story about his hard scrabble upbringing in the streets of Detroit. And then he took a few years off. Had a couple of uh, tough incidents in recent years. Uh, The shooting of his close friend Deshaun Proof Holton in 2006 outside of a Detroit nightclub and then a uh, a much ballyhooed bout with uh, prescription painkillers went into rehab, and, and much of this album discusses his battle with addiction and how he dealt with the death of his friend. Before we review it, let's listen to a track from Relapse. The track is called My Mom, a favorite subject on previous Eminem albums. Let's hear what he has to say now about My Mom on Sound Opinions. Here we go
6: my mom value. came up on back out oh, yeah, um, Valium was in everything, food that I ate, the water that I drank, peas in my plate, she sprinkled just enough, buffet the seas in my steak, so every day I have at least three stomach aches. Now tell me, what kind of mother would want to see her? Son grew up to be an under a f- fever. My teacher didn't think I was gonna be nothing either. What the f*** you sticking gum up under the f*** see-fer. Mrs. Mathers, your son has been her beneath ether. Either that or the mother f*** has been puffing poppin- but all this huffing and puffing wasn't what it was either It was neither I was buzzing but it wasn't what she thought In a teacup You ain't my keeper, I'm sleeping What the f*** you keep on f***ing with me for You need to leave me the f- alone I ain't playing, go find you a white crayon And color a f- zebra My mom loved Valium And lots of drugs That's why I am Like I am Cause I'm like her Because my mom loved Valium Cause I'm my mom
3: That is My Mom by Eminem from Relapse, the much-anticipated comeback album after a five-year absence from the pop world. And he's already shooting to the top of the charts and selling way more units than anybody else does in this digital age. Greg, it would be falling right in to Marshall Mathers' trap to complain about the fact that half of this album is devoted once again to violent, brutal, acts of murder and aggression against women Mm. uh and a first in hip-hop history a long rap about pedophilic incestuous rape Mm -hmm. um i'm not gonna do that the fact is it's boring it's boring it's boring it's boring and eminem knows it it's played out the outrage of his alter ego slim shady it's been done it's like you know if you've seen the first saw movie and then there's saw Mm three and five and twenty one right It's just, it's tired, and the other half of the album, where he's bending over backwards to beg for understanding, he actually resorts to the horriest cliche in the world, don't judge me until you've walked in my shoes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. Well, your shoes, at 36 years old, you are so wealthy that you own one 29-room mansion in the wealthiest suburb of Detroit that you don't even live in. You just have that so that fans will go there instead of bothering you where you really live. (laughs) 36 years old, you're that rich, and you're still complaining about your mom Get over it, buddy. You know, the whole idea of transgression, uh, that is uh, maybe
0: exciting, thrilling maybe for an album or two. But then once you've gone as far as you can go, where do you go from there? And I think that's the, the point where Eminem is in his career right now. He's already violated every possible idea we could have yeah. about good taste, uh, you know, if such a thing even exists in, in, in this realm. So, yes, you know, the ad hominem attacks, the the rape fantasies, the pathology, the, the homophobia, you know, even the celebrities that he trots yeah, yeah. out to knock well, down Mariah Carey, Hannah Montana, Jessica Simpson. No, no, my favorite Christopher is Christopher Reeve.
3: Christopher Reeve. Christopher Reeve
0: died in 2004. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's played out. I mean, just listing those names off, you go. That's boring. That's boring. That's boring. Yeah, he sounds bored. I mean, what was shocking maybe 10 years ago to an audience of 13, 14, 15-year-olds, now that audience has grown up. He's playing the same shtick, the same cards at the end of the album. He basically admits that. You know, he's trotting out, here, I got another one for you. And the yeah. audience gets up to leave. Yeah. It's almost like he's making fun of the fact that he's made another album just like the other albums were. Uh, it's amazing that people are still interested in this guy. He doesn't is. even sound interested in himself anymore. No, well, buy it, burn it, trash it. Cynical record, the most cynical record of the year, and it's a trash it all
3: the way. Absolutely, double trash it.
5: Is going to the beat. everything is going to the beat. What's going on?
3: That is a song called Sleepyhead by a band called Passion Pit. It's the version from their new album, Manners. Greg, uh, not one, but two. Familiar stories behind this album. Number one, a young Bostonian named Michael Angelakos. He's in love. He, he he has this crush. Who's going to Emerson College? He wants to woo the girl. Oldest story in the history of 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 music. He sits down and writes her some songs, six of them that become an EP released in two thousand and seven called Chunk of Change. He didn't win the girl, but he did generate a tremendous underground buzz because of that song in its first version, Sleepyhead, generated uh, ultimately more than a million and a half hits on MySpace. The other most familiar story of these days, got himself a record deal, put together a band, full-fledged quintet now, three people up front, and now has made a proper 11-song debut album let's play a tune from it and then we'll come back and review it give our thoughts on passion pit this is a song called the reeling from manners by passion pit on sound opinions
0: That's the reeling from the debut album from Passion Pit called Manners. Angelakos with that falsetto voice, that is the uh, predominant voice you hear on this record, surrounded by those swirling synthesizers. As you mentioned, Jim, he now has a full-on band. He created that first EP basically in his bedroom on a laptop. By himself, yeah. This is a much fuller production. There are moments when it reminds me of some of uh, Dan Deacon's recent work. Uh, Mm. Very orchestral, very lush. I love the sound of this record. If I pay it too close attention to the lyrics, my head starts to hurt <laughs> because uh, the lyrics are nonsensical. It's best to just sort of ignore those and sort of swim in this in this lush, beautiful sound well, that he's is creating. Well, this is a disco record. It's not about the lyrics. Yeah, it's about the dance It's beat. an electropop record. But I have another problem with it. The onrush of Sugar, and I love a giddy pop chorus as much as anybody. I think there's a whole bunch of them at, at the top end of this record. And the relief I feel when that song, Swimming in the Flood, comes along. i was kind of wondering, why do I love that song so much? And I think it's just because he just sort of dials down that giddy exuberance, and we have a moment where we just sort of (laughs) swim in the beauty of the song. ¶¶ I wish there were a few more moments on this record. Really?
3: Uh, It's almost too sugary. I'm shocked. I'm shocked that you don't love this record because I I thought this is the most (laughs) cot-loving record that we've done this year. The kind of new order dance grooves are a lot more human. These guys are, are flesh and blood. This is an indie rock take on the 80s disco sound with hints every once in a while of the underground, you know, house music, Chicago. Those courses remind me a lot of that. You know, what Vampire Weekend did, college kids taking on Afropop from Paul Simon, Yeah, these kids are doing with, with house music and, and disco, but I love this. I, you know, I, I can't get enough of it. I think this is a buy-it record. Yeah, I, I find
0: it's too much, and it, and it gets annoying after a while. I think there are individual tracks here that I think are great, but as a whole, it really doesn't work for me, so I'm going to have to give it a burn-it. I tell you, little
2: buddy, this whole island is bewitched.
5: Remember, we were shipwrecked together.
0: As often as possible on this show, we like to take a trip to the desert island and pop a quarter in the desert island jukebox to play a track we cannot live without. And this
3: week, it is Jim D'Aragatis' turn. Thank you, Mr. Cott. I have no particular reason to play this song today, other than the fact that I want to hear some buzzcocks. All right. <laughs> I, you, you know, you just can't get enough buzzcocks. They are one of the greatest bands out of England in that initial punk explosion, certainly the most tuneful, led by Pete Shelley and Steve Diggle in the incarnation that we know the most. Two great songwriters, two wonderful harmony vocal singers backed by a killer rhythm section because everything in Buzzcocks' world happens at 78 RPM. (laughs) You know, if the Beatles had had a lot more adrenaline and been (laughs) around for punk, that's what the Buzzcocks are. One of the best, best of albums of all times is uh, Singles Going Steady. If you had to buy one Buzzcocks album, that collection of their singles, and I mean every song, song after song, is a masterpiece. Just to be perverse, though, I'm going to play the best buzzcock single that was not on singles going steady came at the end of their career only three studio albums in their original incarnation they've since reformed and are still every bit as great today the last studio album was called a different kind of tension taking its name from a quote by william s burroughs and it had this epic anthemic song which became their last single charted in the uk didn't make it on singles going steady because by that time the band had broken up it's called i believe this is nothing less than a manifesto Or is it? Through most of the song, the Buzzcocks reel off the things that they believe in. In these times of contentions, it's not my intentions to make things simple, right? Do they really believe in it or do they not? Because they're talking about, you know, they say that it's not my contention to make things clear. You know, they go off on the immaculate conception and and perpetual devotion. And then it all builds this anthemic ending. First time I saw them regroup was in New York and uh, they ended the show with this song. And just for about 10 minutes, they repeated that chant over and over and over again. There is no love in this world anymore, mm-hmm. which obviously Diggle and Shelley, two of Rock's great romantics, don't believe. But they're asking us to, to think exactly the opposite while we chant along with this incredible chorus. Here's the Buzzcocks, I believe, on Sound Opinions. I'm the
6: pages I'm the book that takes ages the Just an illusion It's all for two The essence of being These feelings I'm feeling God has wandered
3: The Buzzcocks, I believe, on Sound Opinions. Mr. Cott, what do we have on the show next week? I believe too,
0: Jim. Great pick. Thank uh, you. Next week we have another man who specializes in anthems.
3: Dan Deacon will be our guest with a live performance and an interview. As always, Sound Opinions was produced by our ace team of Todd Bachman, Jason Saldana, and Robin Lynn, And our executive producer, our fearless leader, a man who is to us what Stan is to Eminem, is Tori southside Malatia. <laughs>
0: Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic. Now it's time to hear what you have to say.
5: New Messages.
0: Hey, Greg and Jim, this is Steve Collins from Jackson, Michigan. Just got done listening to the podcast about uh, Willie Nelson and uh, loved hearing it. I remember taking crap from my buddies back in my Black Flag and Suicidal Tendencies, Punk Rock Days back in the 80s because I took Willie
3: and Family Live with me to uh, college and I actually got some of them turned on to them.
5: And I know your image of me is what I hope to be. And I've treated you unkindly, but darling, can't you see There's no one more important to me So darling, won't you please see through me Cause now we're alone and I'm singing my song for you And you taught me precious secrets Of a truth withholding nothing And you came out in front, but I was hiding but now I am so much better. And if my words don't come together, listen to the melody, for my love is in their hiding.
3: So just an amazing songwriter, amazing performer, and I uh, really appreciate the show. Keep up the good work.
0: See ya. Hey, guys, what's going on? This is Ben in Nashville got done listening to the, uh, the podcast where you reviewed the new Green Day and I'm sure you're getting a lot of uh, these uh, comparisons and it's fine I'm still a big fan but they do rip off a lot of uh, 60s artists you know Beatles and all that perfect example you played a little bit of Last Night on Earth from the new record I Amy mean, it is exactly the same song as Isolation by uh, John Lennon I mean it's exactly the same I
6: Just a little town Everybody
5: trying to pull us down
0: I, I Having said all that, I'm still a fan. I'm glad that someone's using melody and, you know, hard music uh, today. And, you know, I'm sure the kids appreciate it.
3: Hey guys, this is Mando Rossi from Chicago listened to your uh, show this weekend and have to agree that St. Vincent is probably, I mean, as, as far as early uh, judgments of best record of the year, I'm going to say this is the best record of
5: 2009. This was surprises. I mean, I saw them live a couple years ago and I wasn't
3: that impressed, but this record is just amazing. I can't stop listening to it and, and telling everybody to listen to it. And I'm just going to say that I really agree that to buy it all the way, take care.